Welcome back to the podcast. The quick version of this segment, part two. I'm Dave. I'm still Rob. And today we're going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Indiana Jones, part four. Yes. Um, and I, this time, I can actually do the synopsis because I actually took notes. So I'm going to begin reading it now. Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Harrison Ford returns as our favorite whip-wielding archaeologist hero after 19 years. The film starts establishing the 50s mood with a classic Elvis Presley song and a drag race, which leads us to the secret military base, Area 51. The guards are taken out quite easily. The bad guys remove two people from the trunk, one of which is Indiana Jones and an old friend who we've not yet met, Mac. We are also introduced to the Russians, the main villain, Spalko. They were brought to the site for Indiana's knowledge of what they are searching for, and the location of the opening scene is very familiar to us as it is the warehouse from the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Russians brought Indy there because of his knowledge of the Roswell, New Mexico crash or his lack of knowledge that is uh, as he explains that he had very limited answers to what was going on there when he would ask questions. A double cross from Mac and an escape attempt also leads to the most unpopular scene of all of Indiana Jones film history the nuclear explosion fridge escape because indy is in the 1950s now and has had an encounter with some russians uh the government is now suspicious of his communistic activities which leads to the loss of his job as a professor on his way out of town a young man mutt williams asks for indy's help mutt's mother mary sent him to get help finding an old friend an old professor oxley and his search for the lost city of akator indiana mutt meet up in a cafe when the kgb agents intervene and we are treated to a classic 50s fight with greasers and preps a motorcycle chase and then a plane trip to Peru to follow Oxley's tracks. Oxley has lost his mind, so when they follow his tracks, there's scribblings on the wall, which Indiana tends to uh, understand a little bit, which leads them to the grave where they find the crystal skull. Mac also finds them, and the Soviets following Mac, then they take and capture Indiana Jones and Mutt Williams. They take him back to the camp where Oxley is along with Mutt's mother, Mary, who happens to be Marion Ravenwood from the first film. We have an escape attempt after learning a little bit about the alien-looking skull, a reveal that Mutt is, uh, in fact, Indiana's son, and Mac reveals to be a double agent and joins the quest to Akator, the lost city where the Crystal Skull is believed to be from. We have a chase, we have some battles, and giant red ants and a duck boat waterfall times several they find akator and get through their guards of tribesmen and find that the uh, temple is full of artifacts as the beings the skull belongs to seem to be archaeologists is what indiana and some others seem to believe we find ourselves in the chamber of the crystal skeletons where spalco ends up there to max triple agent actions uh the skull is returned the portal becomes activated max sneaks out followed by the rest except spalco who demands to know more knowledge of what these beings have the skeletons they begin to fuse into one 
being Spalkle has her classic Indiana Jones movie death. As we see the others, they escape, they get outside, and then we see what appears to be a flying saucer, and then it disappears into into the sky, dropping all the stuff, flooding, burying the city, making the classic Indiana Jones, nobody knows these fantastic discoveries they make. And Oxley mentions that they are not, in fact, aliens. They are interdimensional beings. We see that Indiana and Marion reconnect along with Mutt. And then we have a wedding scene at the end of the movie. And that's the end. And there you have it. That was Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. A very good synopsis, Dave. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. That saves us a lot of time. Let's talk about the strengths of this movie, shall we? Oh, and, and I'm pretty sure our strengths will vary. Probably. What we think. But I, I think the ones that you can't get away from is that this was Spielberg and Harrison Ford working together. Without that, this movie couldn't have worked. And a little George Lucas on the side. And little George Lucas on the side, I'm not going to say he's the part that makes it work because some of my criticisms are going to go that way. Mm. But it definitely did change a lot of the atmosphere of the movie. But as long as you kept that core together, this was going to be a successful movie. People were going to see it for the novelty of seeing Harrison Ford 18 years after the last movie, the, the Last Crusade, who has not gotten any younger. Can he pull off Indiana Jones? And what will they possibly do with him? Will he still be fighting Nazis in the Congo or what? Well, given the time period being 1957 and uh, America. Yes, the direction hysteria. they took was to advance the time to about you know and appropriately in sync with the uh, the original movies the uh, russian communism was the bad guy the red scare yes so, the red menace so they've we have ourselves some russian baddies now again on a strength they did a period movie they did a really good job of nailing down the details of, of the 50s, the 50s yeah. yes the cars were excellent. The attire was was very good. The uh, soundtrack with the, the like the Elvis song in the beginning, and um, there's another song in in the cafe which just you know screams fifties. Yep, and also too um, showing the kind of class distinctions that you had at the time. You had the greasers, you had jocks, you had the the college bound nerds, and they were all. Their stereotypes are pretty faithfully represented in this movie. So that's what the, the other group was, Greasers, and those were the jocks. jocks. Those mm -hmm. were jocks. They all had the letter jackets on. They were all on. You know, that was kind of, it was a polarizing time. Everybody kind of went into their own little niche. And even some of those niches were for outsiders. Like, you know, the Greasers, who didn't fit in with a lot of other things, so they wanted to be cool in their own way. And, uh, again, they did a pretty good job of that. They also, again, kept tied to Indiana Jones by changing the location. It started a bit more in America, but eventually they got us out of out of America and yeah. into you know around the Amazon, which again it it was it worked for being an exotic enough locale to make this an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the beginning, although the one the criticism that the beginning of this movie had was that it was still tied to the main adventure of the film, mm -hmm. but I still liked the beginning of this movie with, you know, the beginning of the scene with the, 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 the music, the car, the mini drag race. 
and that you get to Area 51. But it's it's, it's still the warehouse when the where gates the open up. Yes, it's it's the ending from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. I that was a great callback. Um, a little cheesy that once we get to our little chase, that oh, we see the Ark. Aha! Uh-huh. Is that point cheesy point. or is that fan service? Both. Cheesy fan service. Cheesy fan service. Well, there's a lot of cheesy yeah, fan we, service. We, in this we didn't movie need then. to have that to be like, hey guys, look. Out of all the boxes he crashes into, it's the Ark. But uh, uh, yeah, it was. I I like that 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 whole scene. Um, and then the aftermath of it, not so much the fridge thing. I'll actually put that in the middle. The fridge thing did not bother me as much when Indy escaped, and he finds that that. Uh, you know, I like the part where he finds that little town, and then they're all mannequins. He's like, "Whoa, yep, this is weird." That was cool. The fridge thing, I get it. You know, it's a little cheesy, a little cheesy, but but you know, it's not the thing that ticked me off the most of the movie. And the fact that Indy didn't drop over dead from cancer like before the end of the movie because he was glowing. And no, radiation doesn't work. We're a quick dip in a shower and guys scrubbing you will take care of the radiation. Well, they got to make sure they get your bits and pieces. I understand that. That doesn't save you from intense radiation poisoning. In movies, it In does. movies, it does. Yes, yeah, uh, true. Whatever. It, was, it still looked visually, well, not the fridge <laughs> flying in the air, but the, seeing, the, seeing the nuclear explosion, um, which is a 50s thing, is a 50s B-movie thing. That's that yeah. was pretty cool. And then, of course, the paranoia, you know, the American, the American government where, where Indy had these situations with the Russians and his friend that we just met for the first time. But Indy's, Mac, yes. Indy's had relations with him for a long time, but that was probably after the last crusade. Uh, so our the government is suspicious of Indy's activities, which is historically accurate, because if that would have happened, you, you you better believe that that there'd be like, you know... Oh, yeah, McCarthy would have come yeah, down and, yeah. and had him thrown yeah. in a deep, dark hole somewhere. Yeah, so you, you had the repercussions there where Indy lost his job. And, yep. And, uh, which was the thing that happened back then. Mm-hmm. You All people had to do was throw that label on you, communist, sympathizer, and... You could be done. Doesn't matter how respected you were. Doesn't matter how high you were. In some cases, you could be dragged down, blackballed, fired. So not even the heroic Indiana Jones was safe from that label. And they felt the need to pad Indiana Jones' resume by having him a Cold War provocateur and involved with a lot of government. For for a guy who's a, a historian and archaeologist they had him basically being an, an os soldier yeah, those top men were pulling him for a lot of stuff yeah sure. that was an interesting ter- way they turned him into saying that no it wasn't enough that he's just the this incredibly gutsy you know freelance uh adventurer archaeologist they they ended up turning him into a soldier in the cold war too and it's like oh, okay and if so, you felt you had to. Uh, and the fact that, you know, what we were mentioning earlier, they, they, they're they in Area 51, they're in the warehouse, they're looking for the uh, mummified versions of the... Uh, the Greys. The, the Greys, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, from the Roswell, New Mexico crash. And yes. he, 
you know, being one of those people that, you know, I like that story. I don't necessarily believe that's what it was, but it's still a fascinating story. I'm like, sweet. This is awesome. They're bringing the alien thing to it. I like that, that. was your, that was your yeah. take on it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I like I like the alien thing. Um, My take on it was, you know what made the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Last Crusade awesome? The Ark and the Grail came at the end. You didn't show it right away. No, we're going to show mummified aliens right away and take any mystery out of the end of it. Do you think some of that could be due to current attention spans where everybody wants the stuff fed No, I think it comes from three different writers taking a whack at the screenplay and apparently the last one didn't have faith that he could carry through a movie with the aliens being a surprise at the end. Well, that'd be a little hard to do considering that, you know, you got the crystal skull and the the way they shape it. Hard to do? Yes, that's why writers get paid. You see the, you know, it's not human, so you're kind you know, they throw in the, the hints of the... You know, anybody who looks at ancient human art relics, much of the of what was crafted didn't look all that human. That I don't think needed to necessarily be the sticking point that that was an alien skull. But instead, we're going to show the greys right away. Vaguely, you couldn't really tell... You could tell enough. Yeah. And then in the middle, she goes on to do some more peeling of the, the, the one that you found. So it confirms the shadow of a doubt that, yeah, it's an alien. Yeah, interdimensional beings, to be precise. Yeah. Maybe that's the surprise. Yeah. That's the surprise. No, that's 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 Lucas but wheeling and dealing his way out of an explanation that aliens were overexposed at that time. So instead, whatever. Uh, but, but I love the alien stuff. Okay. I'm a sucker for that sci-fi fine, alien dude. stuff. That's fine. Uh, uh, let's see that. Yeah, so I like that. A little subtle one that I like. The, there was a callback to Indiana Jones meeting. Uh, I can't remember the name of the person. Was it Pancho Vila? Yes. Yeah. That, that, Vila. Yeah. And that was a, a reference to the young Indiana Jones series. So that is canon in this world, I guess. Well, why not? If you've got that kind of lore, it doesn't hurt you mm-hmm. to go back to it. Um, another thing that I liked, actually, going back to the giant atomic, you know, B-movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Although they weren't huge, but those were some pretty nasty red ants <laughs> i like that scene too where the red ants just yeah um well in every indiana jones movie you need a graphic death or in, you in need in the bad guy craw- crawlies too yeah you need the you need bugs and some sort that's actually in that's a pulp fiction staple is the hero is partially a hero because he is the master of nature and he can get by creepy crawlies without getting squicked out and do what he needs to do also you need a gruesome death. The bad guy has to suffer. Usually it's a bad guy that has been worked up into being a, a pretty nasty guy. And and uh, as the movies had gone on, they got more and more incentive to make you glad that they got killed. And the, in Temple of Doom, the guy whipped kids and, and you know beat Indiana Jones and made him drink the blood. And 
Um, Donovan, of course, did some you know pretty dreadful things throughout the movie, and including shooting um, Indy's dad. So you didn't feel bad about his gruesome death. This one, he was a Russian. He was a Russian thug. Just doing and his He job. needed to die. He's just doing. His <laughs> he needed job. to die horribly, and and get carried bodily by the, this. This was, <laughs> and get carried bodily in the ants and sucked head first into the anthill. That's. Okay. Nasty ants. Yeah. But that's really. callback to the giant, you know, bug things that was also in the 50s for movies. Sure, I can deal with that. Uh, that, that so those are pretty much the things that I liked. Um, I, the thing I forgot to write down is so obvious. I liked the bad guy in this one, too. Yeah. Irina Spalko. 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 Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, from the first scene in the beginning where you meet her mm-hmm. and you see how she is, uh, yeah. Just you know, the presence of the actor itself, you know, herself. She did a great job. Yeah. She did a great job. She and she was supposed to be some sort of psychic yes. thing person. There was a lot of concern back in the 50s that the Russians would were working on not a nuclear super weapon, but a psychic super weapon. That paranoia was echoed in literature, in movies, and probably the last time I saw it in a video game was Command and Conquer, Red Alert, which was an alternate Earth history where Einstein went back in time and uh, took out Hitler. Hmm. But instead that meant that it became Soviets versus the West. And one of the main menaces was Stalin's psychic, Yuri, and all kinds of psychic powers and abilities and stuff. Yeah, and... uh, he had blue contact lens eyes, just like she did, and his mannerisms similar to what she did, too. The major difference was that she came off as intellectual in a lot of the same ways as uh, the uh, doctor from uh, The Last Crusade, the villain. Oh, Donovan? No, the... Uh, oh, the, the other woman. One. The oh. love interest. Oh, Indy didn't sleep with this one. Well, he was a little slow. Hey, Henry Jones did. But anyhow, uh, she comes off as questing for knowledge, but she's got a dark bent to her, which means you're more satisfied to see her get hers in the end than you were about the the doctor for mm-hmm. who was who betrayed and needed the Germans. Um, she was just you know giddy about it, but she was eventually consumed. Both of them were consumed. It's just you felt better about the Russian because she was pretty vicious. Plus, she also was an action character. She was good with her swords, and she shot her gun. Um, So she was a threat in multiple ways. She also demonstrated how evil she was by making plugging Indy into the skull, and you know, in numerous ways. You really, in these kind of movies, you want your villain to prove their villainy, to show just how ruthless they can be. And she did a good job there. Yeah, I thought the actress with the, the 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 bang cut hair the no nonsense look and they reuse that look for one of the imperials in uh star wars rebels i mean it's identical and even it's got the russian accent too if i recall correctly so no i i thought she was good um if you you already are accepting a bit of the supernatural on faith in an indiana jones movie yeah. We've seen it in all of the movies. There's an element of the supernatural. So psychic powers, I don't think, were too far off to go. No. Personally. No. Although, they don't really demonstrate 
her abilities all that much. She only uses it on Indy, and Indy blocks her powers. Because of the skull that him. Maybe. Something like that. Or you're just a hard man to read, Dr. Jones, when she first reads him. She's like, oh, you're a hard man to read. Oh, I'll he laughs at her. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, she she did the job. She yeah. was a credible villain. The Russian uh, gorilla, the, the, the colonel who was with her or whatever, he was fine and he died on cue and, and he was a solid physical menace. It's but he was getting beat up by a 70-year-old man. Yeah. Again, having a guy who is... A couple times, too. Yes. And he pummels this guy and that's appropriate for a pulp movie, but he was... The window had just closed. It started kind of getting sad that he was doing it. <laughs> um. But, you know, uh, yeah. they, they did what they were called for. Russians actually were the really good choice for the enemies for this movie. It was appropriate for the time period. Yeah. Um, Nazis. And at no point did they really undersell the menace that they had. They were deep, moving operatives on American soil through most of the movie. And then as the action followed, they, they made pains to show that the Russians pieced together and were able to keep pursuing Indiana Jones. It wasn't just a DSX machina, oh, the villains come back on stage because it's their time. Because of a double agent. Triple agent. Trip no, it was just a double agent. Four agent. You had to you had to think that he was actually one agent. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but you know, then that brings me to the okay. You know, like the, the things that are mentioning that I mentioned were yeah. good. What about you have anything uh, else? Yeah, I was gonna say, um as far as the actual role in fulfilling the job, I thought that Shale LaBeouf as Mutt Williams did an acceptable job taking the burden of all the action scenes off of Harrison Ford. Uh, some of the things that, you know, if, if Harrison Ford was called on to outfight uh, Spalco, he wasn't going to punch her in the face because guys don't punch women in these kind of movies. They don't. So it was going to be Mutt dueling her, which made more sense. I think we would want to see Indiana Jones trying to duel her and straddle jeeps or anything like that. Um, I thought he did a good job of getting to the role of a character in that period. The greaser look looked fine on him. I thought he captured the character pretty well. Um, the, 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 the scenery, the casting and everything did a great job of putting you into the time period. That was the strength of the movie. The music was fine and they picked some good period music in the appropriate places. I thought it was great. The atmosphere in the college was great, and I thought when they let Harrison Ford, again, I've said this before, when these movies let Indiana Jones be smart as well as a great fighter, they're better yet. And honestly, you know, he was able to, you know, do his professor shtick and, and teach as he was getting, you know, in a chase through the middle of the hall, and he could speak the languages of the natives because he had history and he was intelligent, and they played off of that, which is good. I would have probably preferred to see him with a little less physical activity, actually. You know, giving some credence to the fact that he's a little older, a little slower, and doesn't need to do that stuff. And make him more impactful when he does punch somebody down, because, well, he, he knows how to do it. Yeah. But, honestly, for what they gave him, yeah, I thought that all worked out well. And to me, those were the strengths of the movie. Uh, I did like the exotic locale in South America. That was nice. Um, I like the dungeon-y scene because I like those kind of things. So when they were going to the ziggurat and stuff, I saw a lot of things that I really liked that, that kind of tripped my trigger. Um, watching the graveyard scene, Harrison diving into the, that, that was kind of 
eh. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more physicality from Mutt, like punching out one of those guys in desperation, the, the natives who were stalking them. But for what they did, they did fine. And those are my strengths of the movie. Yeah. Um, Spalco was a strength. Harrison Ford, as always, was a strength. I didn't think uh, Shia LaBeouf was, was a weakness by by really any stretch. Um, yeah, let's go on to the okay stuff. Yeah, the, the okay stuff. Um, the whole gag that... Um, oh, you know, we forgot to mention that Marion's back. I think that was a good I'm thing. I'm waiting for the bad stuff in that, actually. Oh, you don't like that, huh? Ooh. See, well, I, I, I'm... I liked that she was back. I didn't like her performance a bit. Oh, it's because she hasn't acted in quite a while. No, that could, that could yeah. be it. But I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a but, second. Um, but. but it was good to, for me to see that Marion was back. All right, so I, I enjoyed Marion in this movie. Fair enough. But things that I thought was... Oh, okay, I enjoyed that she was there. And I thought the revelation scene was actually pretty good. She still has fire, and they do kind of still have a chemistry. It's just all the other stuff. We'll get into that. In yeah. The, the, the tail end. So, you know, one of the things that I always praise about these movies when we watch them is the music, like the score from like John Williams. For the most part, it was, it was just okay. I think to me, I like the Spalco theme and the, uh, the, the theme, whatever the alien thing was going on, or excuse me, interdimensional beings. Uh, but Whatever. Let's just call them aliens from this point Whatever. on. Whatever. You know what they were. Yeah. Well, technically, they would still be aliens on our land. But anyhow, uh, the thing that that uh, the Mutt Williams theme was just kind of, I don't know. And I listened to the soundtrack on the side, so it just it didn't have any catch to it. It's not like some of these other John Williams pieces that he's written for sequel films and to me, stuff. a soundtrack works when you barely notice it, but it enhances everything. I thought that it did that. I couldn't point to any one part or another and say, this didn't work. Usually when soundtracks go bad, it, they become noticeable. They become a distraction. That didn't, wasn't the case in this one. Uh, I just it did the theme. I didn't really like the theme for the uh, for Mutt. The, but again, it's still overall okay. It's, it's fine. fine. Uh, the snake, the snake gag, the whole, it's not a snake when they're in the quicksand. I mean, that was just being a little too That's over the, the, the top. That's the last screenwriter being funny. You know, don't, don't call it that. It's not a snake. Say it's a rope. Grab the rope. Or was it rope or branch? Rope. Rope. Grab the rope. Grab the rope. Yeah, that's, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, okay. Uh, the nuclear fr fridge thing, uh, I thought we weren't in the bad yet. I thought we were in okay yet. I think that was okay. I didn't really hate it, but but when you when I look back at the previous films, Indy did some pretty goofy things in there too, and I'm like, oh well. There's goofy, and then there's just this is too stupid for me to believe in anymore. Uh, see, I the, the I have a hard time with the minecart thing. Well, I had a I had a hard time with the minecart too, if you remember. Yeah, but this was. Door opens, Indy pours out as every bone in his body is clearly broken from the tumble, if not cooked instantly from being they also had right cushions at ground zero. in those fridges. Huh? They also had cushions in those fridges. Yeah, right. We'll just tell people that. 
yeah, whatever. Uh, John Hurt is Professor Oxley. The whole reason why they're on this big adventure in the first place. Uh, I like John Hurt as an actor, and I felt that the character that he was given, and part of me was like, man, they had John Hurt. They could have just did so much more with him. You but, know, I spent the first half of the movie when when he came on. I'm like, oh, that's Gary Oldman. Okay, I'm cool. <laughs> that was Gary Oldman the whole time. And then at the end of the end credits, I'm like, okay. no, it's John Hurt. Oh, oops. Gary Oldman with old people makeup. Oh, they right. both were in Harry Potter. So, right. Uh, but he, but he had that twinkle in his eye and, and, and being crazy. You know, you yeah, didn't mention that Gary Oldman could have pulled, pulled that, that off, off yeah, easily. They, yeah. They're both really good act- yeah. actors. Um, to, to me, it felt like, the first time I've seen it and other times I was like, man, they wasted John Hurt. But now that he's no. passed on and then I've seen it, you know, like recently, I'm like, okay, it works. It was I, interesting. I look at that as one of those roles that you needed the right person in it to tell the job or the whole thing comes off as silly. John Hurt added a lot of believability into the madness of Oxley. He told a story without having to narrate an ex use exposition to explain it through mannerisms and just his, his carriage and everything. I thought he did a great job as Oxley and that was the strength of the movie. Um, Ray Winstone is Mac. Mac is one of those okay type characters. Yeah. I, I mean, it would have crushed us if that would have been Sala. 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 There we go. Sala. Sala. Yeah. I mean John that would that would have been de- devastating if that beginning of the movie would have been John Reese Davies instead of Ray Winstone, and then we had the whole thing happen with him. It totally would not have been respectful to his character yeah. because that character so, demonstrated that he is completely loyal to Indiana Jones. So I I appreciate that they were able to take and invent a new character who has history with Indiana Jones. Would have been but, nice if they could have had somebody else from some of the other movies, but I just don't know again, who else you're inventing been. this yeah. movie from whole cloth. So yeah, it just would have been there would have been no other choice. The, the other guy from Temple of Doom was shot and killed right away in the beginning, so you can't you can't bring him back. The other thing too is that in the oh, it could Jones, have been Herman, could have been his childhood friend. There we go. Then we would have had that connection. Is that the kid with the trumpet. Yeah. Okay. Um. You, if you were going to have the Judas character, you know because it's an Indiana Jones movie that it's not going to end well for him. These kind of movies are like morality plays, black and white. The good guys live, the bad guys die. That is how it goes. Gray area, especially if they sided with the bad side, gets punished. So you knew with Mac he was going to be a character that wasn't going to see the end of the movie because... Just, he has yeah. inherent greed and lack of trustworthiness. Even when they explain, and he fast-talked his way back with Indy's graces, oh, yeah, remember that mission we did? And, oh, double agent, so you're actually on my side, but you're betraying them. Yeah. But then he plays a little too close to the vest when they're in the temple, and he's still fretting about not getting the money. So, yeah, he's he was he was a vehicle. Yeah. He kept the movie going where it needed to go. Yeah, and, and again, it, it, like I said, if it would have been Sulla, that would have crushed us a lot. Yeah, I'm fine <laughs> with him creating a new character for this particular role. Uh, and and maybe books or whatever explain a little more of the adventures of Indy and Mac. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they got that far. But I don't think they need to. Uh, 
And and then I have mixed feelings on Mutt. In my opinion, Mutt started strong, but then got weak as the film went on. And I I partially blame that awkward fight sequence in the vehicles. See, I I just praise Shia LaBeouf as a strength, but the character of Mutt is kind of yeah a lot a lot of lost opportunity. I think if you're going to make him Indiana Jones's son, you probably want to try to give him some defining characteristics where he's very much like his father. In some cases, they do that. They have him where he's headstrong and he goes against what his father's wishes are, just like Indy did with his dad in the beginning of The Last Crusade. That was kind of nice. His identity was foreshadowed a little bit too much so that the plot twist that, oh, it's your son wasn't really that shocking. And I have that as a bad, really, because it was too predictable. It was, too it was predictable. just too predictable. And I, I remember Spielberg making a big deal when some crewman or actor spoiled it. Yeah. And uh, and um, Spielberg got all, well, I get rightfully so mad and got worked up about it. I'm thinking... They all signed non-disclosure agreements, so yeah. I kind of figured that was the direction they were going. In my opinion, it would have been a surprise that he wasn't his son. And that would have been the real surprise because you go into these movies expecting that. I mean, youthly guy. and My honest opinion about Mutt Williams is that I like that he's a product of the time. The fact that he's a greaser is fine with me. And, and, and LaBeouf's mannerisms and everything were fine for the time period. From tossing the knife and combing his hair and being obsessed with motorcycles and just wanting to work on motorcycles. I, I was fine with that. It's when you put him in action scenes, but he's doing the silly dueling between two Jeeps thing. And going with all the near-miss crotch shots from the foliage they're driving by. As they're driving, you know, in a forest, in a jungle, which I'm sure the roads were great. Sure, this is believable. And so he does the fencing, but in no other circumstance does he show off any of the physicality that makes you think that he's Indy's son. They don't have this great scene where they're both punching Russians. Not at all. Indiana does all the the fighting. Shea doesn't do much. He never even shanks a guy with that knife of his. It just becomes useful for cutting ropes. Um, so you don't know if he actually has any of that Indiana Jones bravery to carry forward. And then, if you think he is the son, possibly the heir apparent to future Indiana Jones movies, if he becomes Indiana Jones the second, Henry Jones the third, yeah, we know, but if he does that. They missed the prime opportunity for the passing of the torch in the very end of it, which they could have easily satisfied. The wind blows the hat to his feet. He bends down, picks it up, puts it on his head. Triumphal music starts. Indy and Marion go by. They just got married. Congratulations. Three years down the road, let's have a new Indiana, new, a new Indiana Jones or a young Indiana Jones movie with Indiana Jones II, Shia LaBeouf. Boom. You could make that. They didn't. Harrison takes the hat back, puts it on his head, makes it very clear, and, and even much just fluttering around in the end credits as they roll, like, I don't know what they're doing with me. <laughs> I, he was supposedly kind of bitter about that, and I don't blame them. They set him up perfectly, identified him as the son of Indiana Jones, and then nothing. No payoff. Nothing going forward with that. 
and clearly made it that he's not the person they're going it for. Sounds like that might have been one of those gags that that writer wrote in there to be funny, but instead it just ends it awkward. Because I always thought that it was annoyed odd too. me. I thought it was odd too when the movie ends. You know, everyone leaves and there he is, just like, yeah, okay, I'm just standing here waiting. Yeah, you know, it's such such missed opportunities, and you again, you teased it. Get teased that you could have carried through. That one would not have hurt you to carry through, unless you were afraid you were going to make Harrison angry that he was being moved on. But let's be real here. Well, okay, Harrison if they said have, no if one they else have can another movie, Indiana Jones, but me. That's nonsense. You can you we can easily reboot that movie. I'm not saying it's going to be you know, great. I Obviously people fun. want it, but I think you could do it. I think you need to and do it. It still has to take place in the past, but what if, but if they still make another Indiana Jones movie, uh, have it take place like in the seventies. I, I like that kind of stuff when they do that. Go you can keep days. it as Pulp Fiction if you want. If you insist that it's going to be in more modern times, you could do that. There's, there's still wonders out there to find. And, we may even have to pitch a sequel to to, to Indiana Five at some point. Oh, but, we will. No, we will. But you killed you killed any momentum that Shia LaBeouf's Mutt Williams might have had going forward. Henry Jones Jr. the third dead in the water. They they killed him in the end, which was to me nonsensical. Big missed opportunity. But the character himself, I thought he was decent enough with what they gave him. Yeah, I just unfortunately no, we've strayed into those, the bad now. Yeah, it's just some of those scenes with the the fighting and the the swinging on the vines. It was just yeah, look bad visually. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's under the bad too. I'm afraid. Uh, I didn't really care. The it's minor, but the whole three waterfall thing, like fall one, oh, fall God. two, fall three. Yeah, damn. Especially well, with old man Ford. Are, are we in the? Are we in the bad? Yeah, we are. I think. We're in the bad. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We transitioned to the bad. Well, let's get on to the screenwriting, shall we? This was clearly a product that had passed through several people's hands. Who was the one who got the ultimate end screenwriting credit? David Coop. That's it. He wrote Jurassic Park, yeah, one and two, and he did a lot of things. Yeah, he did a lot of things with 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 Spielberg and, and other mm-hmm. things. Mostly noted for having comedy elements. Fine. Indiana Jones needs a certain amount of levity. It can't be grim and serious all the time. Actually, I don't know if that the goofball stuff came from him because the other guy credited with the story, never mind that he also co-wrote Speed 2, but he wrote some of the pirate movies, and the pirate movies are full of that kind of oddball humor. The special features on and in the end of the disc that I saw, yeah. pretty much they all said that he added a lot of the comedy stuff. Oh, David Co-op so, did? Yeah. Dang. So you have a lot of stuff that is just not believable and is in there just for yucks or for trying to one-up themselves. Uh, falling down three waterfalls. Yeah, one waterfall in a what looked like a, a short duck, amphibious vehicle, surviving three waterfalls. No rocks on the bottom, miraculously. I don't know how that happened. Um, everybody's fine. Through two, and it finally gives up the ghost on the third, but everybody's still fine. Waterfalls don't work that way. <laughs> Swinging on branches does not let you go faster than cars that are racing. They don't work that way. Nor does the fact that you find yourself up on a tree after getting hooked, uh, rib-shatteringly hooked from the momentum and everything. We're not going to get into physics here. 
Um, the fact that you end up in a tree full of monkeys does not get you the ability to become Mutt Williams, Lord of Primates, and have them all attack the Russians for you. That was silly. They, they're in dudes grease her hair. Oh, God. So bad. The refrigerator. The refrigerator that survived the nuclear blast is just silly. There's They had to be, be sure to insist and, and tell you that this is a lead-lined refrigerator. That's fine against some of the radiation. Being a ground zero at a, at, a, at a test. I'm sorry, son. The refrigerator is not protecting you from that. <laughs> and secondly... The tumbling that they no, did when it was wait. launched would have killed him. He drank a hundred times over. He drank from the Holy Grail. And why does cup. he look like crap now? Because it's slowly affecting him. Like the ring affects everyone. It, the the ring prolongs your life. It's a little not bit. the cup. It's plot armor. He's okay because he has to be. That's it. Yeah, he drank some of that that from the Jesus cup. So he's good. Oh, he's good for a little while longer. That's why he said his dad passed away just a few years ago, not like yeah. not like 10 years ago. And then he's standing under the mushroom cloud. This, he's dead from cancer. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's dead from cancer. This, well, but he, again, it's plot armor. This like, movie leans heavily on plot armor and happens. That could be Indiana Jones in part six. Where he's the at. Toxic Crusader. Oh, that's a no, crossover. He's that's toxic. in the eighties. That's in the eighties. You gotta wait till we get to the eighties. He comes as a shambling mass of tumors. <laughs> okay, uh, so so we have those things. Um, let's see what else. Oh yeah, the convenience of aliens building their temples like crap. So as soon as everything goes, of course there's nothing left afterwards because that's how these things always work. India has these great adventures and there's never anything well, they to show for the it. Well, they built the temple now. around the ship, so when the ship spins off, yeah. it just obliterates everything. Why didn't it just go back to its other dimension, Dave? It did. No, it didn't. It went back to space. No, it disappeared and then everything dropped. Went to hyperspace. No, it just it, it did that whole disappearing thing. So it, yeah, it didn't fly off to the distance. That's a, it looked different in the shot. The, the writing had had a lot of silliness built into it. An, but a, Another thing with the writing, um, Frank Darabont, who who wrote and directed the Shawshank Redemption, and I believe he worked on the... I've young, heard of that movie. He did, the, he did some stuff on the young Indiana Jones, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I remember that he was... He wrote... A draft of the script and there is this rule or, or whatever this rule was but in order for the movie to get made all three of the prime parties had to like it ford spielberg lucas and according to darabon harrison ford liked his script steven spielberg liked this script but george lucas was the one who didn't really like it so it never got made so he was kind of bitter about it afterwards to the point where he even every now and then makes his little comments about the movie, especially after it came out, because he's like, essentially he's saying, you know, my script was a lot better than that. Well, they did credit Lucas for the alien influence. Lucas is a nut for aliens. We know this. And Spielberg had reservations about that. When but Spielberg does, it's usually because he thinks, oh, people are going to think of Close Encounters. People are going to think of E.T. Right. Uh, War of the Worlds just came out shortly before that, so right. he's 
that's Spielberg's mentality, which is when you go to uh, oh, what's that movie we watched? Uh, Ready Player One. I mean, yeah. Spielberg was hesitant on referencing himself, mm-hmm. where they had to put subtle stuff in there, like, no, dude, this is part of the 80s, you got to do it, but yeah, yeah. totally. And uh, it was, you know, for what it is, um, it's amazing it was as tight as it was, considering that it changed and changed hands a few times. Um, But that doesn't make it good. (laughs) Some of the stuff was just too silly to be believed. Some of the stuff, again, um, I would have definitely had much more reservation having Indiana Jones doing all the physical stuff. Cutting back on that, I think, would have strengthened the believability of the script a little bit, especially if they would have passed it on, but they didn't. So, yeah, uh, just some missed opportunities there. Um, I personally, when I first saw this movie, I hated it because I hated the Aliens influence. I thought the Aliens was a was a cheap cop-out. Before this, we always had things from rich textures of human history, well, and it's another it's a modern mythology. I'm fine with it now. Yeah. um, Because I recognize that aliens as a crux of human culture is itself a type of mythology. Yeah. I'm trying to think how the first one was religious artifact. Second one was cult. Third one, religious artifact again. No, no. The second one was religious. And and then... um, it's not a well, you know, like the, I was, think I think of the thuggy cult, like the, yeah. the bad guys being that. Well, fair enough. And then, but it's nationalism. But, but when you look, okay, when you look at it, again. then when you look at uh, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the alien thing tends to be a new age thing. So therefore, I guess again, it's just another form of religion. <laughs> it I is suppose. absolutely. That's what that's that's what I reconciled with after a while. So it's like so I'm not mad. Christian. Uh, yeah. Well, the 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 Ark of Covenant goes both Christian and Jewish. Right. Uh, uh, whatever and the Hinduism, Hinduism, and to Christianity specifically, and then the New Age. Yes, I real. And when I, I'm, I appreciate that when they called that down, they stuck to it. When they found the room that had artifacts from all the ancient cultures to prove the the the, the common ground, I'm like, well, you've just committed that aliens are behind all of the earliest cultures and everything. <laughs> um, that's basically what you did there. Saying the aliens are responsible for all of human civilization. So could we tweak it a little bit and say that the aliens created the Ark? Well, see, that's the the, the the step that you're never going to get resolved or compromised. Because if that's the case and all civilizations owe pretty much everything to aliens, then is God an alien? Uh, ancient aliens would say so. Yeah, that's what you're kind of stuck with at that point almost. Hmm. So that's... An issue that I really had back in the day, but now I'm okay. I'm okay with that. We gotta jot something down for Indiana Jones Five. Oh boy. Oh, is it Scientology? Oh, Indiana, ah, Indiana Jones versus Tom Cruise. <laughs> Baby Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, that was a bad. What's another bad for you? No, oh, I pretty much listed my bad right there. Just, just a few, few minor things. A lot of okays, some goods, and. All that stuff. Um, well, I'm going to go with uh, things I didn't really care for. Uh, first of all, most of Marion's performance. Um, it, she spent every time she was not yelling at Indy or yelling at her son with this big blissed out grin on her face, which, number one, really wasn't true to her original character, who took things seriously. 
Number two, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing a mom whose son is straddling two Jeeps as you're racing down a jungle path in a Jeep, in a, in a duck, um, to be the kind of reaction that you would have. She just had this grin on her face like she's just happy to be there. Like, they just gave her a big bowl of soup at lunch, and now she's just happy because she's there. I didn't like her characterization one bit through 90% of when she was on the screen. She did show some fire when she yelled back at Indy, and they had decent chemistry together. But everything else, no, I, I didn't think she made the movie any stronger at all. Um, I thought that uh, making Indiana Jones a war hero of the Cold War was unnecessary. Um, you take him away from being a... Yeah, his paths crossed with the Nazis, but he didn't go hunting the Nazis or hunting the Russians until he had to, because that's what they wanted him to do, so he'd be trusted by the government for this this thing. Um, that was a part of the writing I didn't like, uh, where they, they felt that he had to be uh, basically an OS agent. Yeah, for, so they figured years. they could fit Mac into this situation. Uh, it was ugly. They, they, all they needed to do to get Indy in was the same old thing you always do. Indy's really smart. They needed him for something. In this case, um, you know, to find uh, to find to get the alien, whatever. Um, but the the fact they needed to make him a government agent, I, I didn't think that was really a step they needed to go with. And yeah, it again, I thought that that was the only thing I really thought that weakened Indiana's character besides age. Um, the, uh, Russians, as far as being an opponent, are not as nasty as the Nazis. You aren't quite as happy to see the Russians get beat as you are the Nazis. They're not as universally reviled, so they're a little bit weaker. But honestly, they were probably the best choice for the time period they were going for, so I didn't have a drastic problem with it. Um, the fact that they changed the genre, though kind of caused a little bit of a downturn for me. I like Pulp Adventure. I like That's why the biggest strengths of the Indiana Jones movies, I thought, is you have this great sense of good versus evil and two-fisted adventuring and exotic locales. And this kind of didn't really... It had a lot more shades of gray than you really generally want in these kind of movies. With Mac flip-flopping back and forth, you don't know if you can trust him. That's just kind of goes against the fiber of these kind of movies. Because then you had Spalco, on the other hand, who was a clear villain, very solid villain. Made her intentions clear and actually punched it up more so than if she was just some kind of spooky goth chick. No, she had a clear plan to make psychic weapons to crush the West. Yeah, okay. That cemented the Russians as villains for me better than any of the other stuff that happened with them shooting down people in a military base or anything like that. But you're going into an action movie more so than just a pulp adventure. If you if you, do you understand what I'm saying here? It, it just kind of drifted a bit farther away from what Indiana Jones was and what really right. made it strong. It's but. not as drastic as like the Terminator 1 versus the Terminator 2 being completely different genres. But it was just a dilution that really didn't, just kind of didn't feel right. It didn't feel like an Indiana Jones movie. I, 
in a lot of ways. I felt that way the first time I saw it, but when the the filmmakers gave the reasons for the different direction, because it was it was what was the the popular thing for like like uh, youth at the time was the the B B serials and the action stuff and all that, and um, so when they explained that the the fifties. You know, the, the the B movie was the thing. It was you know the the, the atomic thing. It was the alien thing. It was the uh, giant bug thing, which they all threw in there, and I, I was okay with that afterwards. Which will work into my Indiana Jones five, <laughs> no doubt. But me, I try to be as objective as I can, and and quite honestly, this movie had elements and hints of being a a movie of the kind that we're accustomed to. But I just think they drifted too far off and, you know, lost a lot of the charms of what made the Indiana Jones movies really good. Um, also, not a lot of diversity as far as different locales either. Most of the Indiana Jones movies have several different regions they visited. And this one was mostly the United States and then South America. Yeah, just Peru and... Yeah, Peru, Peru and then Nevada. further down the Amazon. All in all, I thought that... Uh, I've movie, got the movie had its strengths. It definitely I, did. I really got no favorite character to choose from. My favorite character was Oxley. Oxley, I liked Oxley because he was the uh, victim of sorts of both the Russians and his own curiosity, but he was a relative innocent, and so he escapes unscathed and cured miraculously. It becomes you know his himself again, and it's kind of almost as much a tale of him as it is of all the stuff with Indiana Jones. When he, from the moment he makes his, his entrance into it, which is in the Russian camp in Peru, um, you had his character be transformative. He was a narrative tool that progressed things. His characterization kind of enriched the thing. It made you feel sorry for him. It made you feel that, you know, this is the kind of danger that could befall Indiana Jones becoming this adult and in the end he's still able to do exactly what is needed at the right time to scare off the natives. He pulls the skull out and presents it and they, they run away or uh, providing this cryptic bit of, of lore that Indiana Jones is then able to take and solve the situation. Uh, I, I like that as, as far as a character. It didn't overwhelm the role. He didn't take over for Indiana Jones or make Indy look less less cool, it let him do things that let Indiana Jones still look cool by using his brains to take what Oxley gave him and move forward. So I like that. I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still I just didn't really connect with any of the, the characters, uh, not even Mac or none of them really. Yeah, yeah. they were just there. Um, you know, I, I can understand why LaBeouf was was frustrated with the character because I think they could have done a lot better with him. Um, Indy still got to look cool, so I'm sure Harrison Ford was happy how that all turned out. Um, I don't want to see another Indiana Jones movie with him in it, really. He's just too... It's going to strain the imagination too much unless they really do a fantastic job of screenwriting. So if they do have another movie coming with Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, I hope they do a Passing the Torch thing and he gives it to somebody else that they can move forward with the franchise on, or else, hard reboot. Get a new Indiana Jones in. For those of you who think 
Nobody but Harrison Ford can do Indiana Jones. There were a lot of people who thought that only Sean Connery could do James Bond, too. But there have been some pretty good James Bond since. So that's my take on that. It's it's time. Um, Harrison's just a little too old to do it. I hate to say that, but unless you're going to go with a lot of computer-generated stuff, that's the only thing we've got. Andy Serkis as Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Quite honestly, we are getting to that point, and I've brought this up before, that you're going to not get an actor for a cast. You're going to get their likeness and their voice, and you're going to plug them into your movie, and that's eventually where we're going to get to. We're not there yet, though. Yeah. That's how your Harrison Ford will get to be your perpetual Indiana Jones if you really want that. But as of right now, I think it's time for someone else to take over that role. And they missed the opportunity here. Although, again, Shia LaBeouf has proven to be a bit more mercurial and may not have been the anchor that you want to lock your franchise down to. I don't know. So, any other thoughts before we get to grading this? No. How did it do in the box office? Did you look that up? Yeah, I did. It, it did uh, for 2008. It was the third biggest money maker of that year. But but when you look at 2008 in terms, uh, it was The Dark Knight, Iron Man, Indiana Jones, and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So it was Dark Knight was over 500 million, and the other two were in the 300 million. Solid. Right? Nowadays, the top five are like 500 million. So sure. Of course, the dollar doesn't go yeah, as far now, yeah. but it was still up there. It was the second time Indiana Jones battled it out with the Joker at the box office and lost. Quite honestly, though, um, considering the time and all the things that happened in 2008, the Dark Knight was going to be the sentimental favorite anyhow, after what happened to Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been almost impossible to eclipse that movie in that year. Okay, so all in all, how would you rate this movie, Dave? Um, out of four stars, I'd give it three. I would give it six and a half. Six point five out of ten. I think which you've rated police academies that high. I have, because as I said, if you are going to have a a movie, even a pulp pulp adventure, if you break your believability, you take you could really strain your audience in in what they're willing to to accept. And for me, there's just too too much silliness in the movie and it just broke my suspension of disbelief in too many places. Um, I, I groaned as much as I laughed and a lot of the thrills just weren't that thrilling, honestly. So as far as what the movie tried to do, I don't think it did the greatest of jobs. It wasn't, however, a terrible movie. I I didn't rate it below five. Um, I, did find redeemable things. I thought the the care they showed on the settings was lavish and and solid. I thought that some of the things they did to build up a couple of the characters was was good. Uh, I thought the chemistry between the actors was actually quite solid, and I very much appreciated the villain, a female in a, in the role of a of an of a indie villain, and she she pulled it off well and believably. That was fine. And not one that was just conflicted, but one that was One that was bad. driven yeah. and committed to doing whatever needed to be done, including some nasty stuff. Yeah, totally. But there was just, like I said, too many cheesy things in there that that really shook it for me. and was never going to let it get up to the level of even the movie that I liked the least of the series up to that point, The Temple of Doom. Indiana Jones and Plan 9 from Outer Space. 
<sighs> Obviously, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but um, honestly, I would have rather have seen the script handed over to Sam Raimi to, to give it a uh, Army of Darkness treatment. And I think well, that would have been more entertaining. Mm, yeah, well, you know, what was a staple of, well, well, we'll get into this when we talk about our possible Indiana Jones sequels, but... Right, that sounds like another episode. Yeah. Anyhow, so, this is Dave. I'm Rob, and we just took you back to the podcast! Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.